Hey everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It's really great to have you here. On this week's episode, I welcome back tax policy advocate, writer, world explorer, and genuine funny person, Maura Quinn. We cover American oligarchs, nacho blankets, or is it blankets of nachos? Why Denver is the most sensible city, and so much more. Let's get into it. Everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. First of all, I want to apologize. Uh, over the last month, I have not done a great job of keeping up with the pot. It's been something that's been nagging at me. I know that many of you are going to go, look, you're putting out stuff every day. Uh, don't worry about it. Um, thanks uh, if you are saying that. I, I imagine some of you are saying that and the rest of you are saying, uh, oh my God, this guy's a lazy piece of shit and why doesn't he get more done? Um, it's probably something in between there because you probably don't think about it that much. But anyway, uh, I think about it a lot, uh, which is kind of my uh, – that's kind of what I do. I kind of think about things a lot. And so uh, what I'm going to do is accept the fact that I have I've been putting out a lot of content and I have been very, very busy with other things in my life. Um, I've been driving rideshare a lot, which is going really well, and I'm, I'm getting ready to find a way to share some of those stories, I hope. Um, but with my schedule and struggling to find uh, times to talk to folks and guests falling through and things like that, I had a stretch where I was just behind the eight ball for about five weeks where I was just constantly kind of trying to catch up with the pod. And I feel like I'm in a better spot now. I've got a couple episodes in the can, including this one with more Quint. And, um, I feel like I'm getting back on track and I'm, I really, I really liked the, 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 the Mondays as the publishing date for the, the pod. So I think I want to try to keep it that way and try to, uh, and try to, to get, back into a flow where I have some some stuff done ahead of time and things are good. One of the things I'm really concerned about is um, I may have shared with some of you that I'm going to be going on a pretty massive trip in November um, from uh, basically the first three weeks of November, from the 4th or 5th of November through Thanksgiving. My mother and I are going to Vietnam, Cambodia, and Thailand, and I'm going to be gone for 20 days. I'm going to be uh, on a plane for two of those days. I'm going to be driving for one of those days. And excuse me, I'm going to be in country for 17 of those days. And so I want to make sure that I have a bunch of work ready to go in a month when I leave. And that's kind of freaking me out right now. So I'm kind of working my way through that. And I know that you're probably Again, you're less worried about it than I am, but I want you to know that I'm thinking about it and I want you um, to kind of be prepared for the fact that I'm, you know, if this is something that you rely on daily, I'm working to try to make sure that I can continue to deliver something close to that. And some of this is just going to be doing a lot of work before I actually leave. Um, But as you can imagine, it's going to provide a lot of opportunity for me to share my experiences both uh, with my mother and in this kind of amazing exotic place that is that is Southeast Asia, 
Um, so I hope that it will lead to a lot of new work on the blog and in the podcast. So, um, thanks for that little explainer there about the pod. I really appreciate it. It it took a couple minutes. I just kind of wanted to let you know that, um, I, I am very aware, hyper aware, one might even say of the sort of spotty scheduling of, of episodes lately. It's going to get back to every Monday. It's going to be every Monday. And we're gonna we're gonna continue to get these these posted, and I think we're back kind of in the swing of things. And I've I've got some other things in the pipeline that I'm really excited about that are related to the pod. So, um, thanks for hanging in there. Thanks for your um, your patience. Thanks for sticking around. If I can use a little plug from my band. Uh, speaking of which, I had a great great weekend on the road with my dear dear friends and stick arounds on Thursday night. We played at the famed Village Idiot in uh, Maumee, Ohio, which is just outside of Toledo. Um, Justin and the crew there are just one of the best around. They take amazing care of us. The beer is cold and delicious. The pizza is piping hot. And it's the best goddamn pie you can get in the entire state of Ohio. So if you're in the Detroit area or in Cleveland or even Columbus, make the trip. Go to the Village Idiot. Go see some live music. Go see Justin. Tell him to stick around sent you. And uh, make sure you order a two-hearted and uh, and a big old pie. Uh, then Friday, uh, we said goodbye to, um, as Morrissey would call them, the lawnmower parts. Jeff and Jason and I made our way to Indianapolis. And our rhythm section, Jason, excuse me, uh, Ian and Joel, uh, then drove back home. And we decided to do a Friday night thing with some uh, folks that I know in Indianapolis named Mike and Mindy Cunningham. And Mike... Uh, and Mindy own a whole bunch of restaurants and Mindy had been very excited about hosting a show when I was out this summer and we weren't able to make it work. Well, I wasn't able to make it work and they were ridiculously kind um, and encouraging and generous about this whole experience. And they made arrangements for us to play at their restaurant called union 50, where they fed us an amazing meal uh, with a bunch of their family that we got to share a meal with. And that was really, really special. Um, we went to this amazing cocktail bar uh, just a few blocks away, uh, both before and after the meal. They took us out for an incredible brunch the next day. Um, they have this this lovely house right in downtown um, Indianapolis, just a little bit east of downtown, and they allowed us to stay there for free. It was just a really wonderful, uh, amazing experience with incredibly kind and generous people who went out of their way to make us feel so very welcome and so special and appreciated. And it was just, it was, it was, it was amazing. And I, I can't thank Mindy and Mike enough for the, the time that they showed us in Indianapolis. It's, it's really, it's really lovely what, uh, what they were able to, to provide and give to us. And it's really, we're really, really amazingly grateful. It's just an, like I said, just an incredible experience. And then we, we made the short drive home on Saturday and we were here to kind of salvage the the back half of the weekend. Um, for those of you who, uh, have not necessarily been paying attention to what's going on, uh, at the blog this week, it's been a very busy week again. Um, let me just run through some of the highlights on Monday, October 2nd, I published, um, a nice in-depth piece about Nick Drake and, um, his three records that he made before his untimely, untimely death at the age of 26. And um, I think it's a nice look back at uh, an underappreciated career, although he did get some more uh, kudos and some more attention uh, posthumously, uh, mostly in television and film. 
after that, I, I wrote a piece for Tuesday, October 3rd, called My Very Long Year at the Movies, in which I broke down the 16 films that I had to watch that were part of my almost year-long journey uh, through our family movie club. We, over the course of eight sessions, watched two films each time made in 2022 uh, that had been nominated for major awards. And uh, my brother-in-law, Rock, had put this together kind of in a NCAA bracket sort of style. And we watched all of these films and then we, we rated them. And essentially of the 16 films, there were four of these films that I liked quite a bit or to, or to some significant degree. Uh, the rest of these films I either thought were not very good or were just downright awful. Um, and I kind of go into some of the reasons why and the things that I was sort of left cold by and the things that I didn't understand. Uh, the day after that, on October 4th, I wrote a thing called The Convenience Con, which is a, a breakdown of how uh, tech companies have essentially usurped the majority of the revenue that is generated when somebody listens to a song or watches a TV program or orders something from Amazon or gets a lift on Uber or gets their meal delivered by Grubhub. And it's it's creating kind of a dangerous sort of weird upside down cultural arrangement in that the people who kind of manage and deliver the stuff are making the vast majority of the money and the people who are doing the work and providing the craftsmanship and paying the costs of actually creating that work are getting paid less and less. And as people become more and more reliant on the convenience, it is becoming more and more difficult for independent creators and business owners of any sort to, to truly make a living. And this convenience con, is, is really, it's really exacerbating that problem and moving it forward at a much faster speed. On October 5th, uh, I went ahead and published, I went ahead, what did I, I went ahead? On October 5th, uh, which was Thursday, uh, I published uh, a, a piece that I'd been thinking about for a long time on a record that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, the essay is called Frank Sinatra Lurks in the Wee Small Hours of the Morning. It is a breakdown of his very famous 1995, al 1955 album, In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning. It is, in many respects, the first time that uh, the concept album truly comes into being in a meaningful uh, way. It's also the moment that uh, pop music starts to come out on the 12-inch LP format and the deep story behind that and how Frank Sinatra is really largely the guy who made that happen and the reasons behind it. It's a really interesting look at, again, one of my very favorite records. And if you're a Frank Sinatra fan, it's possible that you may have not even realized what a genius record this is. It, is not, uh, it does not include most of his more famous songs. It's a it's it's kind of a bummer and a downer of a record. It's a very de it's a very depressed record. It's a very blue and lonely record. So go read about it and then, and then go listen to it and let me know what you think. Uh, on Friday, October sixth, um, I posted the first of a series uh, called the Bracket Challenge: Steven Spielberg's Greatest Film. And in this particular uh, uh, essay, this first one. What I did was I, I used the first four matchups of a 32-team bracket-style challenge that I'm doing uh, with 32, basically the best 32 Steven Spielberg films. So we broke this down into 16 first-round matches, and what I did was on Friday I posted the first four. And as I record this, which is just shy of 12 hours before the voting closes, here is where we are. 
uh, round one. We have top seed Jaws going against bottom seed Always. Jaws currently winning by 100%. Um, the In matchup two, we have 17 seed The Post. Just eking ahead right now of 16 seed War of the Worlds, 65-35 in a fairly close matchup. And then in an absolute dead heat, 50-50, Munich and Temple of Doom are tied at the 9th and 24 seeds. And then in our bottom matchup, which is matchup number four, the 8 seed Lincoln currently has an 89 to 11% lead over 25 seed Sugarland Express. So again, that voting is going to be closed by the time you hear this podcast, but I will early this week be posting the second set of matchups, which are going to be matchups five through eight. Now those will include just a couple of uh, little films in there that we're going to talk about in that, in that grouping are going to be uh, Close Encounters, Minority Report, and the Last Crusade. Those are just some of the films that are that are going to be uh, that are going to be found in this particular group. And that doesn't even include whether or not you want to advance Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull to round two. So for those of you who want to just save your vitriol for a Tuesday morning, make sure you keep an eye out for that. Um, and then uh, and then on uh, Saturday. I posted an article um, that was a little bittersweet for me. Um, I posted a goodbye to Miguel Cabrera, uh, the famous right-handed hitter for the Detroit Tigers, who who retired last week and played his final game as a major league player. And in five years, he will be enshrined in the Hall of Fame, and I go through the litany of reasons why that is absolutely the case, and no one should ever think otherwise. But I also talk more importantly about his love of the game, his joy for the game, and what it's like to watch him play with a smile. And just how lucky we all were in Detroit and in Michigan to watch certainly the greatest hitter of my lifetime on my team. And one of the two greatest right-handed hitters of the last 50 years. And I got to watch him day in and day out put up a Hall of Fame career with a giant smile across his face. Nobody had more fun playing baseball than Miguel Cabrera. And very few people were as good at it as he was. So I hope you'll take a minute to read this piece and and really, really look at, at the joyous, marvelous career of Miguel Cabrera. And then on uh, Saturday, I posted a... Uh, or excuse me, on Sunday I posted uh, the first installment of a new series of film essays I'm calling The Film Noir Files, and I focused on 1944's Laura by Otto Preminger, the second Otto Preminger film that I have focused on here at the blog in recent weeks, Anatomy of a Murder being the other. Uh, I think this is a way for me to talk about film noir and create kind of a regular series that I can do every so often where we can focus on one specific film. Uh, speaking of focusing on one specific film, don't forget that in just, in just a week and a half, we are going to have our very first What Am I Making movie club experience. We're going to watch Breaker Morant, which is available both on YouTube with ads, and it's available uh, for rent on a number of sites. And if you have the Criterion channel, it's available to watch for free if you have a Criterion channel membership. Again, we're going to be getting together on Wednesday, October 18th, 
between now and then, you're going to want to watch the film. I'll be publishing a couple of things this week to kind of give you some primers to think about, both as you watch the film and as you sort of rethink about it, leading up to our discussion on the 18th. And then I'll send out a Zoom uh, invite link uh, for every free and paid subscriber. And we'll have a get-together uh, that night at 8 o'clock Eastern. And we'll talk about the film, and I'll play a couple clips, and I'll announce what the next film is going to be. And then we'll take a look at what it's going to look like when we do uh, installment number two of the uh, What Am I Making movie club, or What Am I Watching. Um, I'm really rambling today because I feel like there's a lot of stuff I've got to cover. But, man, I've been going for a while, so I apologize. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up my little intro thing and, and get to the mean potatoes, which is more Quinn, which is why you're here. So uh, thanks for hanging with me. Um, the show, the work, the blog, everything that I do is powered solely and completely by your financial support. Um, I have to make time in my day to do this work, and it takes a lot of time. Uh, to do that, I have to carve out some actual income from this work. And so I have to ask for your help. So I'm going to ask again, really need you to make a paid subscription if you're not already a paid member. So go over to whatamimaking.substack.com and you can sign up for a monthly, an annual, or even uh, a founding member sponsorship where you can really show um, – your uh, massive support. That is kind of a big ask, but if you could go over there and sign up for either a monthly or an annual membership. Annual memberships are, are 60 bucks a year, uh, so it's just five bucks a month, and if you want to do it monthly, uh, it's just $6 a month, comes off your credit or debit card. It's really simple. It makes a huge difference. It's the cup, It's a price of a cup of coffee, but it means the world to me, and if we can get to a point where I have three or 400 of these, then I can really start doing this work in a serious way. And we're a long way from being in that spot, but if you could help by being one more person, that would be incredible. So please go over to whatamimaking.substack.com and sign up for a paid subscription today. Don't forget you can email me with your questions, your comments, your ideas, your recipes, your suggestions, whatever you got. It's whatamimakingblog at gmail.com. You can also leave me a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash whatamimaking. And be sure to like, rate, and review the pod wherever you listen. It's really important to making sure that we're growing the community here at What Am I Making. It's it, it's really silly, but there are it's kind of like chasing these numbers. And once you sort of build and there's a little momentum, you get a little more, and that builds a little more, and it's a little it starts to snowball. So please, one of the things I would ask you is find one person in your life and send them an article, a pod an interview, something that I did on the blog or on the podcast that you appreciate that you think they would like. Find one person and one thing and send it to them and say, hey, you should sign up and be a subscriber if you like this. Not even a paid subscriber. Let's let's get some free subscribers and then we'll grow those little chicks into ducks that become paid subscribers, okay? But let's just spread the wealth a little bit. So if you could help us find a few more people, that would be a huge, huge help. Now, finally, after 19 minutes of just, just fucking rambling, let's get to the reason you're here. My conversation with Maura Quint. Maura Quint has been watching the primary GOP debates so that the rest of us don't have to. Her recaps from McSweeney's are a comforting combination of humor and horror reporting from the front lines of that particular shit show. And once I got Maura's first update from the first debate, I knew I wanted to have her on the pod to talk about sitting through every damn minute of these things. 
and then finding a way to break it down into enlightening humor that truly does recap the abject awfulness that's on display. But in addition to suffering through those early GOP debates, Mora has also recently had the pleasure of traveling to Australia and to New Zealand. We cover some highlights from her trip, and then we land on what an expert Mora is at doing absolutely nothing. She acknowledges that once she has met her basic life needs, she is done. Quote, it'll be all blankets and bed rots, and maybe some blanket nachos, or are they nachos of blankets? I don't know. Listen, you'll figure it out. We start to tackle the American oligarch's royalty complex that seems to run so rampant in our culture these days. And then Mora even shares with us why Denver is perhaps the most sensible city in America. As always, it's a breezy chat with a funny and kind soul. You'll learn enough to skip the future GOP debates, and you'll be able to laugh your ass off while you're doing it. Mora and I also managed to find a bit of time to discuss New Zealand indie pop, the coming year at the Supreme Court, and a little bit on the myth of wealth as worth. It is heady, hilarious stuff that awaits my friends, and it is all because of my guest and my friend, Mora Quinn. Here we go. Mora Quinn went around the world. What what did you do? Uh, well, I've been all over. I mean, I, I travel a lot. It's like, that's, you know, a happy thing for me. So I try to do it as much as I can. So, um, yeah, so I've, I was just in New York this past weekend and Boston before that. And, uh, and then Australia and New Zealand briefly. And yeah, so I've been wherever I can go. How does one go to Australia and New Zealand briefly? It's called not having much vacation time. That's how, that's, that's how you do that. Being an American mean? That's the way you do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so how long were you there? I was there for like nine days total. Okay. So you're there. I mean, that's, but that's between the two countries, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, what stood out? Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I really, I really love it there. Auckland, New Zealand is fantastic. I'd never been there before. And I just kind of wandered around the city and I don't know. I just, I really enjoyed it. It is a really, really weird thing to like, travel 24 hours and get off a plane and like everyone around you speaks English. Like you feel like you should be someplace that, that feels confusing. You know, you feel like you should be seeing signs in another language and people should be speaking in tones that are different to your ears. And instead it's just very, very similar. It feels like you flew the whole way around the world and ended up in North Carolina, (laughs) but like a a prettier North Carolina, (laughs) like a nicer one. Uh, And the accents are somehow, uh, all the more charming, uh, yeah. the Kiwi yeah. accent particularly. It's I, I will not trouble you with a bad impression, but um, it's a very charming little affect to their their voice, and it's it's. I think it's that's half to... of what I like. It's just I really do enjoy the cadence of their speech, and they have like both both New Zealanders and Australians have so many like fun to me fun you know sayings and uh and turns of phrase that i find delightful so yeah it's really that i enjoy a lot is there one of those that you use particularly often no i don't use many the one that has crept into my speech which is not all that strange or anything but i've rather than saying just sort of like oh you know stuff 
I've started saying bits and bobs, which that that one I'm just like, yeah, no, that that works. Just bits like and bobs that. and things. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I did have to learn that Arvo means in the afternoon. That one like took me a moment because people will be like, oh yeah, we'll see you. Like we're doing a, you know, a hangout on Sunday Arvo. Like what the fuck does that mean? Where the but hell does that even come from? I don't know. I have no clue, but Arvo. that's what it means. It means in the afternoon, PM. And this yeah. is this is used in both nations in, in uh, Australia? I believe so. I only ever heard Australians do it, but let's just assume. Let's just say yes. Let's just decide for the New Zealanders that they also do that. I would be, you know, everybody obviously loves to go to New Zealand and do the Lord of the Rings shit. I would be the nerd who went and did all of the like uh, flying nun indie band pilgrimages. <laughs> I'd be like leaving my family to like go run through the Shire so that I could go like see some CD club where the chills played in 1984. Like, were you into any of the music stuff before you went? Um, yeah. I mean, more and more, I, I don't, I don't have like any sort of strong, long history of knowledge of anything, whether it be American or New Zealand or Australian bands. But, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm filling in some of the very, very large gaping holes in my knowledge bit by bit. I did. I mean, I, love going to shows in general and I love music. Uh, and I wasn't in Auckland for very long, but I did go to a record store there and, uh, <laughs> and I was just going through like, you know, trying to see, they had like a whole section just on like New Zealand indie bands. Uh, and so I was flipping through the records and, um, and enjoyed it. And I ended up buying, uh, a, like a live Beth's album along with a couple of other bands I had never heard of. Uh, but the the guy, at the counter, like working at the store, was just like, "Oh, do you like the best? They hang out here. Like they they we they were in the store like a week ago or something." I was like, "Oh, that's cool. Like, yeah, I just I saw them in Philadelphia. So you know, and then I had to come here to pilgrimage. I guess I don't know, but that was uh, they were they were very that? proud. They should be. That band is fucking great. Yeah, they're so. Um, good. How was the Philadelphia show? Oh, it was wonderful. I saw them. I ended up seeing them twice this year. I saw them in Philly and I saw them in Baltimore and they were just, they were just great. And they're just absolutely packing a room. I was like, really, I was surprised in the Philly show. Cause I did that early in the year and I was still in my little like bubble of like, Oh, the Beths, no one's heard of the Beths. <laughs> oh no. Everyone had heard of the Beths. So they are, they have quite a huge following. I thought the exact same thing. I saw them at a beer garden in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And I expected maybe there to be a couple hundred people there. And I'll bet you there were 1200 people there. It's and it was it's wild. It was like this outdoor thing, and they're so much fun. Like they're just yeah. so exuberant, and the the way that this venue was set up, more is the stage backs right up to a train track, mm -hmm. and three times during their set, a train went by. <laughs> the second time, the horn honked, and the horn was in the same key as the song. Amazing. And so they just kept vamping while the dude kept honking the horn. It was fucking incredible. <laughs> it was great. It was, it felt rehearsed. It was really lovely. That's um, very cool. Uh, so, yeah. So I was going to, I was going to say that I, I know that you had, had kind of recently fallen in love with the best at I, as I had. Um, so you spent, you spent nine days in Australia and New Zealand and it was all uh, for pleasure. It was all just vacation time. Or did you have to throw work into that as well? I mean, I, I do a little, like ongoing work remotely. So there were times that I had to check in, but no, I was not there for work at all. I was definitely like working counter to the hours that I ought to have been working. But, uh, but yes, I was just there just for fun, just for fun. Are you good at just for fun? 
What does that mean? Skilled exactly. <laughs> can I that's, can I not work? Uh, Is that what you're saying? I can easily not work. Yeah, oh my of, god! I would if I like had a lot of money. Like I do not understand very very rich people who are just like no 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 we have to keep making deals. Like no, uh, the moment I had enough money where I'm like no I can live in a place and I have enough food and like there is water and electricity and I have all these sort of basic needs met and everything. I would stop working so fast. <laughs> I would I would not work another day. Absolutely. I that's the goal for me all the time is to not work. It's to do just enough things that I don't feel bad about doing the only thing I want to do, which is nothing. Uh, that sounds like you've really, you have almost like a monastic piece that you have made with. <laughs> I need to like channel this shit because I can't find it. I find that the the older I get, the more compelled I feel like I have to work. I, it's weird. It's fucked up. I don't understand it. I mean, um, I definitely, for my own self-esteem and like sense of being a person, I do have to do things. But even that I wrestle with. Like I, I could spend a... I don't know if you've heard about the whole like bed rotting. I mean, I guess that's the, the phrase for it, but it's not a new idea. But where you just like spend your weekend or days just in bed, like everything is just in bed. That appeals to me greatly. And I know that I would like lapse into it so quickly that I, there's just a part of my brain that's like, you have to accomplish something. You have to look at, be able to say you did something and point to it and feel good about it. And then you can feel all right with yourself or else you're going to be like laden with this, this, uh, you know, self-hatred, but, <laughs> but it's, it's an inner, it's an inner fight. A lot of times. I feel like a lot of mine, even though I wasn't raised in a religious household, it almost feels puritanical. Sure. You're an American. Yeah. There is this like very like deep seated, like you are going to work for your supper and that bullshit that comes with that. Well, I mean, I definitely have a strong sense of like, I have to work instead of, you know, taking from anyone else. Right. Like I don't, I don't feel like I, I would feel very uncomfortable going around and accepting stuff. I do. I mean, I just, I find it difficult to accept help, but I think that that's not uncommon as well, but you know, <laughs> but yeah, I can, I can leisure. I can leisure like hell, man. <laughs> I'll oh, leisure man. all day. I, I, uh, yeah, I can leisure for, uh, stretches of time in certain places. I cannot, I struggle to leisure at my home. See, so really, that's, I have a hard time with that. That's interesting. I I can. My thing really is that, like, I can't leisure if others around me are working. Like, if there's anything Ditto. I can do to help someone, then I'm like, then I then I'm uncomfortable. I cannot be, which is why most of the time when I'm like fully leisuring, it is it is like on a couch by myself. You know, it is like somewhere right. where no one else is and I don't have anyone judging me or I don't have to feel guilty or feel like, oh God, I'm watching that guy carry a bunch of towels and things and I should really be helping out. What am I doing? And you know, that then that starts to then I, I can't just sit there. But if there's no one and there's just me and a phone and a TV and a, you know, then hey, we're I'm good. Uh and you you still have children in an age where like they they're they're wearing you out both physically and emotionally. And so like I'm imagining like you there are gonna be times where just like to keep up, you have to go, all right, I gotta find five here. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm also like you know, I say that all of this. I you know that the the scientific maxim that uh, an object in motion stays in motion and an object at rest stays mm -hmm. at rest. I feel like that is fundamentally like that's it. You can just 
that's my bio. Like the, once I start doing things, I start doing things at like an ever increasing speed. And I start saying yes to everything and I'm taking it all on and I'm doing five things at a time. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm constantly multitasking. I've, I think we had this conversation last time too, where I started doing this thing of like, oh, I've got five minutes before the next thing. What, what can I do in that time? Can I, you know, can I start straightening? Like, absolutely. Once I'm doing, I continue doing, but just as hard. Like once I, once I, if I lay down <laughs> the moment, the moment my head is no longer upright, mm. it's like, oh no, no, it's that's now we're in the, the lie down place and that's where we're going to stay. Uh, there's no yeah, reason. So, so yeah, nap is a nap is a lifestyle choice at that point. Yeah. I mean, I don't nap. I've never been able to do that, but I can lounge. I can lounge like fuck. No problem. Oh, lounge like fuck. That's a, I'm pretty sure that's your new clothing label. <laughs> lounge like fuck. Mora Quinn, 2024 spring. Yeah, it's just blankets. It's just it's blankets. It's not even as wrap around. It's no, just, it's, it's just, just blankets. It's just like leisure. It's just, ugh. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Blankets of different, you know, thickness and uh, and yeah. fabrics to match like whatever need, the... I feel like we need a little terry cloth in there to bring back some 70s vibe. I mean, you know, if people want a terry cloth, yeah, sure. It's not my deal just because it's not as comfortable as other things. That's all. Oh, no. But, uh, I meant yeah. like, you know how like when you get a sandwich and like there are layers of texture? Yeah. I'm talking about that, but with blankets. I see. Yeah. Gotcha. Soft, fluffy, weighted terry mm-hmm. cloth. Mm-hmm. No, no, I think you could be onto something here. Definitely. Little, 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 little. The nachos of blankets, layer that up. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, my winter's going to get weird. Um, <laughs> so speaking of saying yes to everything, in addition yes. to saying yes to this. Yes. You said yes. Yes. To hosting a show out of fucking nowhere. Yes. For me um, to come to yes. your house. <laughs> I and did. Uh, that was... A really remarkably wonderful evening. And this is a great opportunity for me to tell you again how much I appreciate it. It was so fun. It was so fun. I'm really glad that that ended up happening. And it was a very happy accident that I ended up hosting. It was uh, supposed to be, I had found someone else to host it and they wound up with a lot of home issues and concerns that they were not able to open their doors to people. Uh, So yeah, so we moved it to my house, which I did not know how that would go, but I, now I'm like excited. I'm like, Ooh, I, I can kind of make this like a little tiny mini, mini amphitheater theater space. This is fun. It works great despite the fact that it poured all goddamn night. Yes. Yes. It was really hell. You could absolutely do something like that in your backyard and have more room. And if the weather was to cooperate. Um, Absolutely. But it was was such a treat, Maura. And it was just a treat to, to, spend the evening with your friends and your family and uh, with you. And um, it was just, it was everything that I wanted all of these shows to be. And that the whole process of doing that was literally such a leap of faith. So thanks for helping me bring that home. I'm so glad you decided like, Hey, I'm going to just, just going to do it. Just going to do a little tour here. I think that's, that's takes a lot of guts and that's very Thank cool. You. I have another one planned for February and March. That's not quite so little. So we'll see how that shit. Oh, Where are you going to go? I'm going all the way out to the Pacific Ocean and back. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. It's intense. Um, it's six weeks. And it will be... Uh, it looks like I'm going to have some company for 10 days in the middle. Okay. Of, which will help. Like company uh, you want or you just... Company you know... that I want. Yes, okay. yes, yes, right. yes. Uh, bandmates who are going to... Oh, nice. To one city and ride with me for a few days and then fly home. 
Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting. Uh, but it'll it's kind of scary to go for that long, especially at that time of year. So yeah, it'll, it'll be weird. It's gonna be I, driving over the Rockies in March is a fucking gamble. I've done it once in February and got away with it. I suspect it won't be quite so easy as. Second. Yeah, I've only done the full like cross country, I would say twice, but both times in like summer. I mean, in the okay. winter, geez. Oof, yeah, I moved my daughter daring. a couple of years ago. I moved my daughter home from Oregon in February. And so I had to go over it twice and I got away with it, but I think I got lucky. Yeah, yeah no, I love, I mean, driving the Rockies is really fun. I don't, you probably aren't going to like Colorado, are you? Yeah, on the way home, are? what I'll do is I'll snake down. I'm like, I'm, I love how I'm using my hands like a map for mm-hmm. podcasting. That's fucking great. Sure. Anyway, the people I'll swing can down feel from Seattle. They can feel. They know. They know geography through like Idaho and Utah, and then into Colorado, and then kind of swing across the Plain states to get back to Michigan. I love that. I love that drive. It's really. I think it's so much fun and beautiful to drive through that area. But I love driving through Colorado coming from the east heading west because it means like you're just you see these stunning mountains and you start driving up and you're like okay sure and you're like going up the pathway and then you get to like Denver and you just go oh I get it I understand why Denver exists Denver should be called like sensible city like the reasonable ones. It's just like all the people who are like no no we're going to the we're going to the Pacific Ocean we're going to the Pacific Ocean they hit Denver and they're just like you know, this is fucking, no, we're done. Stop here. There's water. It's fine. It's pretty good enough. Good enough. And I yeah, just the have a lot of respect like for that. 310 days a year, motherfuckers. Why would you leave here? I have a ton of respect for that. They just saw what was ahead of them to go through the rest of the Rockies and like get through that. And they're just like, yeah, no, that's, that's stupid. That's just fucking what do stupid. What think it was like the day the newspaper with reports of the Donner Party got to Denver and hit those people? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they probably understood completely because they, they were like, like yeah, that's why like, you don't fucking go past Denver. Like, See, Mildred, I fucking told you. That's exactly right. You wanted to go. Yeah. I I just, I mean, I don't know that it's still the same people inhabiting Denver, but I would definitely assume that the original people, that's like, that's just, just a very, just street smart type of people, you know, just sensible, just, uh, they don't risk at all. And I appreciate that. Um, my experience in Denver really was a, revolved a lot more around red meat and corporate events the one time I was there. So I didn't have quite as enlightening experience as you did, but I'm looking forward to going back and, and being reacclimated to the, the, the what ifs of not being in the Donner party. I so. love Denver. I've been, um, like twice, I mean, Colorado in general, I've been, uh, twice in like very recent years and it's just, it's just really pretty. And then uh you know if you're there and you can go to red rocks i mean i assume you're not performing at red rocks but uh but should you be able to swing by it's it's a great it is a wonderful venue my wife is an enormous avet brothers fan and it is her dream to go to one of those springtime shows that they do there so oh uh, wow yeah i'm I'm trying to will that into being but that's you know that's difficult on a musician's salary more quint it's hard i i understand yeah yeah um so You've been doing a fair amount of traveling. Is a lot of that in support of your work at Americans for Tax Fairness? And no, to- absolutely none of it is. No, none of it is. No, okay. <laughs> no I mean I do the work uh, all all week, but I do not travel too much for them. Although I did go to Chicago for a conference, and I've gone. I go to DC regularly, and that's all certainly okay. for work. But no, this this recent stuff has just been. I had a wedding to go to, and then uh, concerts. I go. I travel a lot for concerts. I mean, living like. 
in Pennsylvania, I just have a lot of drivable places. Like I drove to Boston. I drove to, you know, I drive to DC and New York and Baltimore let's, and Philly let's and all run of it. Down. Who'd, who'd you see in Boston? Uh, oh, Boston. I just ended up seeing, it was like an outdoor festival thing. It was not any big name bands. Okay. Um, yeah. New York. I just saw uh, velocity girl and, uh, the nice. Janines. Yeah. Which was very cool. Um, yeah, I don't even know. Like now I'm like, I, those the, that's the most recent okay. one. So that's what's in I mean, my head. I, I recently had an experience that I've been, I've been kind of quizzing people about, uh, cause I just went to my first like big time festival a mm. couple of weeks ago. Went to Bourbon and Beyond in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. And um, got to see a pretty stunning lineup. I got to see uh, the highlights for me were were Duran Duran and Blondie. Cool. On Friday and Sunday night. But I, we also saw the Avet Brothers, who my wife was stoked about and I, I liked very much. Um, Spoon, who were always great. Uh, and then some other stuff that I was kind of like mediocre on. Have you done one of these big like multi-day festivals before? So I have been to a couple of the big ones, but I've never done the like multi-day, like I've never done the camp or like get a place there and go for multiple days. When I've gone to the big festivals, I've just gone for a full day and then gone home and like slept in my bed. And that's, that's been that, but I've done, I've spent a day at Austin city limits and a day at Coachella. Um, and then I, there's like something in, um, Oh, what is it? The shitty Las Vegas, Atlantic City. There's uh, some festival there that I went to. <laughs> um, you said shitty Las Vegas, and I immediately went Branson. I mean, it's worse than that, though. I, I think. get it. Yeah, as Homer um, Susan says, uh, Branson is Las Vegas if it was owned by Ned Flanders. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. No, you're thinking of Branson. Um, <laughs> sorry, just instantly in that episode. But yeah, I mean, I. I, I'm kind of a, hmm, what's the word for it? Asshole, I think. <laughs> like the multi-day festival thing, I just, I want to say like, oh, I'm too old for it, except that I've always been too old for it. Like, I think I was too old for it at 19. Like, okay. I just don't have the like disposition to be around that many people for that long in those types of environs. Um, I certainly ran into some of that. My, my bigger concern largely had to do with the kind of people they were. Right. That's what I mean. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are plenty of people I could be around. Yeah. Stop, yeah. But like, and it was mm. literally like, oh, it's 25,000 people who all have more money than they know what to do with. Yeah. And many of whom are having a very like sort of not even passive experience, but like tangential experience where the music is like a soundtrack. And it's like, you are taking up space for somebody who would actually give a shit about this. And I found that kind of offensive too. Like, and I don't want to be a dick. Like there were things about it that I really enjoyed, but I look at it and go, all right, this was a four day festival. A general admission wristband is $600 a person. Wow. Who the fuck can afford that? Yeah. Well, and that's just it. I mean, that's the other thing I'm, I've been really, really, lucky let's say lucky um some of it's cursed but uh the only reason i've gone to festivals is because is when i've had someone else getting me in um like for a while the reason i went to coachella was because at the time i was dating um a music booker who was like part of that whole world and so he was just like oh no problem like i'll 
get you on the list. And I was, you know, had the like VIP backstage sort of thing and I didn't pay for it. And it was just, that was an interesting experience. And then the same thing with Austin city limits, my best friend at uh, her significant other at the time was like in charge of tech for the whole festival. So like, that's why I was able to go. I could not imagine spending what people spend. Like, it, oh no! I mean, insane. we did math, and I was like, because we got like an amazing deal in a hotel room, and and got these free wristbands. But even still, like, we still spend money that we didn't really have. To, yeah, like, buy seventeen dollar cocktails and get forty dollar Ubers, and right, oh, and pay for meals on the road. And it's like we had a great time, and we got a deal, and I'm not bitching about it. But easily, we would have dropped somewhere between two thousand and twenty five hundred dollars for a four day weekend to do yeah. this at retail. So I look at that and go, wouldn't I rather just fly to Paris and go see Blondie there and get four days in the city of lights? And right. I think the answer is fuck. Yeah, I would. My, I have cousins who really wanted to see the Taylor Swift tour, yeah. um, but they could not afford like these tickets here. They are going to see her. I want to say in Argentina, maybe, maybe Brazil. I forget. That's amazing. Because that was cheaper. It was, was cheaper to buy the story. flight. <laughs> there was a whole story recently. I wish I could remember what publication it was in. And it was about this these two girls from New Jersey who, instead of going to see Beyonce at the center where the Brooklyn Nets play, uh-huh. they were going to fly to Stockholm and spend a four-day weekend. And it was going to cost them less money. And they were, and they had better seats. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand if you can do that. I think that's incredible. I mean, obviously, of course, we're still talking about a certain level of like economic privilege to be able to do any of these oh, things. For sure. Which, you know, I've been pretty fortunate about myself. But like, but when I talk even about, you know, oh, I've been doing all this traveling or I go to all these shows, like it's it's because I meet people who get me into concerts. So I'm not, you know, and then I... I'm driving around and so just the gas and then I have places, people that I crash with and things like that because, and I feel like I'm like, I'm doing great economically speaking, like comparatively, like I'm like one of the most privileged people and I'm like, all right, how am I going to like pull this together? So it is amazing to me. Yeah. And, and like I, the community of it's really great. And then like, I got to see a bunch of people that I knew people that hosted two different people who hosted me on the same tour that I saw you on came to this thing and I got to spend time with them. And it was, it was amazing. But again, like I could have just driven to Pittsburgh or driven to Detroit, or I could have come to Harrisburg and hung out with you and gone to a show. Like that's just more fun. And uh, I don't know, more meaningful than, than I don't know. The whole thing was just weird. It just felt like a blur. Yeah. I think, I mean, like, I know that there are people who do them like with groups of friends, they all go and it seems like it's their, the sort of big thing. And, and that seems like that could be fun. Um, but definitely, especially when I went to Austin City Limits, and that was, again, like, you know, because my I was my friend's uh, husband at the time was doing tech, like we were doing all the backstage stuff and we were going around and we had all the like special wristbands so we could go anywhere. And I would go into like the VIP lounge areas, you know, that were like right by the stage and like they had like, you know, couches and stuff all outside. And I mean, it's kind of what you said, like these people did not... They, it could have been a radio station on like they did not care what the music was at all they were not there for that at all they like they Paul were there McCartney for could have been sitting there playing Beatles songs to them and it wouldn't have fucking mattered no they were there for like a completely different experience and i was just like oh okay this is 
this is a different world. Like this is this is a a part of uh, our society that I am not generally privileged to. It is it is a, a higher stratosphere than I generally tap into, uh, yeah, or would ever hope so, to or want to. Yeah, because it's fucking gross. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. like the the. The, the fact that the people with the most access have the least interest in it seems yeah. so needlessly cruel to me. It is incredibly frustrating often. I, I do think that's true. Uh, and I love there are certainly some um, larger acts who have the power to do this, who very specifically like do reserve some of the I forget who it was I recently saw that does this that where they reserve some of the front section. Yeah. And they don't let anyone buy the tickets and then they pull people from the back. Like, and I've heard stuff. about this too. I wish I could remember a couple of yeah, instances, but, but like, but I mean, I'm, I'm, that's wonderful when it's just like, yeah, I, I want the people who I know are truly here because they, they love this. They, they are here. They will buy the nosebleed section because that's all they can afford at some major thing. But that's, you know, that is who you want to have right up front center you know just like if you're as a performer too you don't have a huge view of the audience you're seeing only no. the first few bit you want to be able you want to see people who are losing their mind they're so happy at what you're doing yeah there was a woman who was going nuts during the spoon set and like knew every word and at one point Britt daniel literally like grabbed the camera and turned it to the dude so everybody out in the audience could see her on the screen rocking out. yeah yeah. And it was just it was wonderful. Like this this was a woman who had gotten up there and knew knew it all. And and he he seemed to really appreciate that in the moment. Yeah, no, I, I feel like that's generally the case. I mean, I've been I've never I'm not a musician. I've never performed music on stage. You have, but like I've been on stage and I've I've I know what you can see from that perspective. And it makes a big difference when like you're getting enthusiasm back at you rather than when you're getting that sort of like, mm-hmm. Okay. When do I need to leave so I can get to my uh, car? The the, uh, the flat response of painful nothingness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such great. Speaking of that, let's talk about the Republican debates. All uh, right. <laughs> and uh, you you've been making these as tolerable as they could possibly be with your recaps. How are you suffering through this, my friend? I mean, they're they're really unbearable. This these last ones have been. They've been so exquisitely painful and they're always bad, but these like really felt like I was putting drills into my eyes. And I was talking to some other friends that I knew were watching at the time, like sending like just texts of like, I, I want to die. Like I, this is so, because it's so upsetting. Like everything they're saying is so awful and they're pushing each other to be worse and worse and worse. And they're like, just, I mean, Aside from the fact even that they're lying or they're like, you know, being just jerks to one another, they're just the policy positions that they want to take are so tremendously cruel and heartless. And they to just see a bunch of people on stage and then to hear an audience applauding that is like, oh, it's soul crushing, absolutely soul crushing. Especially when it is the end of a sentence that's been uttered by Vivek Ramaswamy. Oh, God, I hate that guy fucking asshole somehow rose to the top of being the worst of that pool of terrible people yeah because he's the one who is trying his hardest to be trump and trump was i mean like is i should say uh they all are terrible people they're all evil they'd all crush you under their foot in a 
millisecond without a, a moment's pause. But like, you know, it takes a special level of asshole where you'd be like, and they're making fun of how you look while they're doing it. Like, you know, and they're just going that extra level to just really make sure that your spirit is crushed along with your lifeless body. And you can tell that like, that's, that's his uh, goal in life. Like that's what he wants. His hero is Trump. He wants to be just like Trump, just as stupid and mean and like vicious and gross. And he's got his own style of doing it, mm. which is also just annoying like you know he's also just the annoying debate guy that you already hated you know but like now on top of it listening to that cadence of his speech and the way that he kind of like does that little syllabic back and forth that kind of rocking thing and then he kind of propels it to the end and it, it always has the same sort of vibe to it and it's just gobbledygook and it means nothing and he knows nothing yeah. And he's and he's this he's this ostensibly wealthy guy with no experience who very clearly, even if Trump had been wealthy and successful, which he wasn't either, mm-hmm. we've we've established that that is not a great model. We we just tried that. And now yeah. we're going, okay, let's sign up for another guy who we don't really know where he got his money or how he got it. Yeah, I mean, but he they're they're really banking on that, haha, of yeah. like you know, that belief that if you are wealthy, you are talented and smart. And, you know, I think (laughs) most of us know better, but there's a really, it's, it's not even just that I want to blame like individual people for believing that there's still just this very strong undercurrent of that as a running philosophy of the country at large, that anyone who works hard enough and is smart enough and good enough can be rich and therefore, anyone who is rich must have worked hard enough and been smart enough and, and you know, been good enough. And right. that is really uh, holding us back. <laughs> I I'm also doing. think that we've substituted royalty in this country for the wealthy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We've seen, we've 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 created this sort of special elite class of of a chosen few. And we've we've imparted all sorts of different divine gifts on them the same way the fucking British do with their monarchy system. So Yeah, I mean, people really love having a religion and religion generally, most religions that we are familiar with in the West are hierarchical and have, you know, there's there's someone that you have to look up to who tells you what to do and you trust them. And that is fundamental to the religious experience. And we treat politics very much the same way. Wow, I've never heard it put quite like that. That we almost have to have uh, a conduit, so to speak, in the same. Yeah, way. you have to have a priest to talk to God. Right, right. We absolutely create these these very uh, religious based hierarchies within our political system, and that's I think also why you see such a natural flow for like. I mean, obviously, we have a very large Christian population within the country. That's the dominant religion. And you see so many various sects of Christianity really uh, taken with these types of like right wing extremists. And I think a lot of it is because it really continues with the same hierarchical structure. It, It continues that belief that there are good people and bad people insiders and outsiders. We have a few, you know, there are individuals who've been designated as the leaders, as better, as as wiser, as the the ones we follow. And, um, you know, and it, it keeps that going. It's a very natural 
flow. If you're going to church and you are being told a certain thing by, uh, you know, whatever, a reverend, it, it makes sense that you then go home and you get told something by a stand-in reverend as well. And you believe that these individuals have some sort of uh, better information or, or better wisdom than you have access to and following them makes a lot of sense. And is that reinforced in a patriarchal way as well? Because most of those people are dudes. I mean, do we have a, a patriarchal system? Yes, absolutely. Well, right. But I, I just mean in terms of like sort of that, uh, that sort of soft uh, kind of subtle effect of this that you're talking about that isn't necessarily front and foremost. It, it seems to me like that would just be one more way to engender the patriarchy. If we're following what you're talking about and we're, and we're taking that down the path and we're saying these people are telling us this and they're telling us it's, you know, the proper way to, you know, whatever, whatever the, whatever the set of rules is that, that their section of the scripture sets out, right. Mm -hmm. They're going to lead you to a certain place. It seems like if that is led with the patriarchy to begin with, it's more likely to lead to more patriarchy. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so sorry, I didn't mean to get pedantic about it. No, um, no, no. Um, totally a, a I, fair point. I, I think, I think this idea of sort of these, the, to get back to this idea of like the wealthy having these special characteristics being, um, somehow not just really smart, but also morally upright and also, uh, having worked really hard and been really smart and chosen the right people. Why do you think it is that we impart so much luck into every other aspect of our lives? I was lucky with my kids. I was lucky with my wife. I was lucky with my whatever. Do we? But, well, I don't know that we do. I think that's okay. what we say in order to be humble about the okay. inherent belief that we've done something. All right. Uh, you know, we've we've made better choices. Um. I don't feel like people talk about acquiring wealth with a sense of luck unless you've won the lottery. There doesn't appear to be a lot of like, wow, you got really fortunate. Like people have good timing. Somehow there's something like there was a choice there. Well, I think that's because we've completely eliminated the sense of humbleness from the uh, the act of, of class. Like, I mean, and it, we used to have it like there I'm not saying that like, oh, we should go back to this time. I'm not saying like, oh, this is good per se. I am saying, though, there used to be a, a different set of dictums uh, in how we spoke about our own personal class. And I mean, even just, you know, the sort of maxims that you still sort of hear of like, don't count other people's money. And like, you know, it's impolite to speak about money at the dinner table and things like that, where we don't, we don't, you know, speculate or discuss financial things that are personal. And that's very much in a sort of like, because you don't want to brag, right? Like, or you don't want to appear envious, you know, you want to appear like it's, it's not, not such a big deal, but we've eliminated that. We've, we've absolutely decided like, no, 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 no. Let's just like, there's no such thing anymore of like, you know, flashy new wealth. It's like, of course, of course you flash your wealth. Of course you show it off. And what is I the don't, point of getting it if I can't tell other people I have it. Right. And I don't, I don't, like I don't inherently that's not a problem to me. I don't care one way or the other. But I think that that's where we've eliminated this idea of luck because there's no reason to pretend to be luck to be lucky, which is I think in these other areas, I think it is just a facade of like I'm going to sit not everyone, 
obviously not everyone, but if you vastly are talking, especially the sort of person who's talking about how great their kids are, or whatever, they might throw in a well. <laughs> I mean, you know, I was lucky, but like you, there's usually a sense of like, <laughs> and of course I did all the right things. So, well, you know, you also could yeah. have had, uh, you know, less screen time for your kids, but I, I see they're on iPads. Pretty, yeah. yeah. Like that's, that's that way of covering that up. Um, and I think that, I think there's a lot of that short sort of sentiment in a lot of uh, our, the things that we ascribe to luck. No, there are those of us who honestly do believe, you know, obviously in luck and we're talking about it in a different way. But I think broadly, if we're talking societally, I think that's usually what's happening. I think you're making a valid point in that, in that, uh, I, you need not look any further than like the idea of the self-made man, right? Mm -hmm. This idea, like I did this all on my own, you know, never mind that I did it with clean water and safe roads and a public education system and a postal system and yada, you know, all the other bullshit you can throw back in their faces. What I, what I think is interesting is that, you know, in the Reagan era, there was the, there was, there was like a yeah, but to that argument. Now it's almost as if we've just decided that we can't even have that argument. We're not even going to discuss that. Like you said, we've kind of let go the humility and sort of the false elegance and we've just dropped the veil and we've just basically said, I got mine, fuck you, which appears to be kind of to, to sort of dovetail back to the debates, kind of the major platform of the Republican Party, so far as I can tell. Oh, absolutely. That that has fundamentally been their their working philosophy. It's like, you know, I'm I'm rich. Good luck to you. If you're gonna be rich too, cool. I can help you out. And otherwise, I guess that's your fault. Yeah. Fuck off. Exactly. <laughs> Why are you bothering me? I mean, that's that's always been their their working. Um, yeah. Philosophy. Uh, last thing before I let you go. Uh, how goes your work at Americans for Tax Fairness? Are there like uh, specific wins you had recently or things that you're excited about? <laughs> or, is oh, that, wish, or is that I a loaded or is that a loaded <laughs> question I should have saved for a different day? I mean, you know, there are there are wins happening i don't want to say that like there there aren't but i'm you know right now i I feel like i'm standing at the bottom of the mountain going okay this is this is going to be a battle and the whole thing's going to be uphill um for a lot of the stuff that's that's um upcoming one of which is you know we have i don't know if you know this but our supreme court is just awful just just a wow it's funny i just I to... actually ran into a couple of them on a nice vacation that a friend gifted me. <laughs> and um, it was, it was, uh, they were lovely. They were really nice. That I'll tell you what, Clarence's RV is tight. That shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, those, those people are not awesome, are they? They, um, they're not. They're, and they're, they they're are not, they're not taking care of business. I mean, everyone who's read any of the ProPublica stuff, you know, sees all of these disclosures of the amount of the billionaires have given these justices and how incredibly corrupted they are and compromised. And it is really upsetting. And we're staring down um, their upcoming slate of uh, cases. And it's, you know, important to note that the Supreme Court does not get handed cases like other uh other courts do, they choose which cases they want to hear. So when you see the, you know, 
what they're looking at uh, at deciding on, it is because they have a point of view that they want to enforce. And one of these cases, um, I mean, there are many that have to do with financial elements. And we know that the CFPB is uh, under attack right now, and that's a Supreme Court issue. And then we also have uh, this case, and this is something that we'll be focused on a little bit, which is Moore versus the U.S., which is a case that really like, basically like a very rich couple had to pay a small tax because they had some of their uh, finances, they they had some of their companies overseas. And they decided, no, no, this is, this is, we're going to fight this. And they're taking it to the Supreme Court. And of course, they're backed by some billionaire dollars in this fight. And at issue really is like a lot of the new tax law that we want to put on the books and a lot of the corporate tax law that's already on the books. It's really like the sort of case that depending on how it's decided could fundamentally shake even the current tax system, let alone the ability for our tax system to uh, create new tax law and to um, to change the way in which we're currently doing things. So it's a very, very frustrating case. In terms of tax policy, could this have similar consequences to Citizens United? Um, I mean, if they were to decide it broadly, yes, okay. worse, I think, you know, because it would really it would rip apart stuff that already exists. Um, it's, it, you know, they could decide it very narrowly, but it would really they could to way oversimplify it. They could, you know, basically wipe out corporate taxes like they they could really do a lot of harm. And uh and the problem when we do that, when we like wipe out taxes for the wealthy and for these major corporations, when we continue to lower them and lower them and lower them, it's like it causes so many problems that are so distinct. Like one, I mean, there's just less revenue coming in and we still have a, a Congress and a Senate that only will uh distribute money based on the revenue coming in, whether or not they should do that, whatever, that's a whole different conversation, but that's how they're doing it now. Pay as you go. You know, if we raise the money so that we can spend the money. So if we can't raise the money, then we can't spend the money. If we can't spend the money, we can't do things on student debt, on child care, on child tax credits, on housing, on roads, on uh, keeping our water clean. I mean, everything. We can't do anything. I was literally just going to say, uh, how was the infrastructure in Australia and New Zealand? How'd that, how'd that compare to what you saw when you were in Boston? I can't, I can't claim to really have noted that much. There were a lot more dead kangaroos. So I don't know if that's uh, an issue, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, like, look, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that Australia has got it all figured out either. New Zealand's a little bit better, but, uh, Australian, I think struggles with a lot of the same sort of imported, uh, extreme right-wing problems that we have here. Just, with a with a couple of benefits, they they haven't maybe gone as nut as we have, but um, yeah. But so I mean, if we can't raise revenue, that's a huge problem. But additionally, if we just allow these these monarchs of a sort to just keep, well, you know, the oligarchs, I guess, to keep uh, accumulating and accumulating and accumulating wealth and never have any means for that going back into the system. I mean, all of these people and these corporations have more money than they could ever touch, and they are just hoarding it. Like that is what is happening. It's just a wealth hoarding situation. And the courts want to allow that to um, continue and to even worsen, which is frightening. I mean, we're 
looking at this incredibly vast divide that's already growing in this country between the richest and the poorest, and it's going to continue to get uh, extreme. And, you know, I mean, this is where we start to shake the ability for nations to exist when we when we get too uh, <laughs> too vast a divide and we are rapidly approaching that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're you're approaching uh, late 19th century Russia at this point in terms of in terms of separation of wealth. Um, in terms of the oligarch class, you are you are reaching those sorts of levels, I think. And we're not even getting any like cool, interesting, like intricate golden eggs out of it. So, I mean, no, like, what the nothing. fuck's the point? Yeah, there's no funky building projects. Mm-mm. You know, nobody's got a nobody's got a little daca down by the river. I it. it <laughs> Are they handing out samovars? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. What's our ballet even doing? Mm-hmm. I don't even. I don't. Uh, I don't know. Um, Maura, I'm gonna let you go. This was so much fun. I always uh, am entertained and love talking to you and learn so goddamn much. And uh, I hope this isn't the last time we get to do it. Thanks so much for having me on. There she goes, Maura Quint. Hilarious. Wonderful, intelligent, well-rounded, able to do nothing, expert of Denver, Maura Quint. Please reach out to Maura on any and all of the social media sites and let her know that you heard her here on the pod and that you appreciated her here. That makes a big difference in getting guests to come back and in getting future guests to appear. It also helps us grow the show. Plus, it's just a really nice way to say thanks to Maura. So thanks, Maura. Uh, Thank you for being here. As always, make sure that you are subscribed to the blog. If you're a free subscriber, hey, consider a paid subscription. What am I making? Substack.com. That's where you find me. I am Maddie C. I am thrilled to have been here. I am thrilled to be here. I've got lots of great work coming this week. Please stay tuned. Please tell your friends. Please like, rate, and review the pod wherever you find it. And as always, my friends, take care of yourselves, and I will see you next time. I love you all. Bye-bye. Another one of those episodes from the Matty Sea and a small amount of his ADHD.